All right. Well, if you've got your Bibles this morning, we're going to look uh, continue with this subject. Just say it. Uh, breaking the silence at Christmas. And uh, if there's anyone who really illustrates the breaking of silence, it's Zechariah. So turn to Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one. Thank you for standing as we open the Word of God together. And I'm going to start with just reading verses 57 through 66, and then we'll come back and look at Zechariah's prophecy that concludes this chapter. All right, you found your place there. It says, the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. That's an exciting time in the life of any household. This was really exciting. I was just here the, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and, and there were some of the little girls playing on, uh, I think it was after church on a Wednesday night, and I mentioned that I had seen twin babies that were born um, to a family in our church. And as soon as I said, I've seen twin babies today, those girls perked up. They all came up to hear what Pastor Robbie had to say. So people get excited when babies are born, especially this, this child that would be known as John the Baptist. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, they rejoiced with her, and when they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, this was their custom, right? So they were going to name him Zechariah after his father, Zach Jr., had come into the world, that's what the friends and relatives thought. But his mother responded, no, he will be called John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father, now, maybe some of your relatives are coming to mind, but they're getting a little upset about this. Um, and they motion, Father, find out, well, you know, in, in this culture, we're going to let Zechariah make this decision. Elizabeth, you're not going to make the final call. So he asked them, remember, he had been silenced here. Uh, he asked them for something to write on, and he wrote down the words, his name is John. Not is going to be, but it's, it's already decided. So they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth fell open, his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came upon all those who lived around them, and all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was with him. And Father, we ask now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us about uh, our mission, our task in this world, just as this baby was born to make you known. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. Well, this great gospel of Luke, as he's writing to someone named Theophilus, many believe was a Roman official, some believe just refers to the fact that the readers loved God because the name means lover of God. Theophilus tells us that Gabriel had appeared to Zechariah while he was serving as a priest, as they would as their custom was to kind of draw lots, it was his turn and God's sovereign plan for Zechariah to be in the temple serving on this day. And as he was in the sanctuary burning incense, representing the prayers of the people, and people were gathered outside praying, Gabriel appeared and explained to him that he would have a son. His name would be John. Uh, like Hannah of old, Elizabeth now was going to be with child when this was not something that would have been expected at her age. Zechariah can't believe this, and so he asked for a sign, and somewhat as a rebuke, but more so as a sign. It was kind of an answer of a prayer and, and a rebuke all in one. 
um, he said, you're not going to be able to talk. People are going to know when you leave this place that you have had a divine encounter. I wish that people would know every time we leave our corporate worship together as the family of God that we would run into people and they would know that we have encountered the presence of a living God. But he had encountered the presence of God and God's messenger there. Elizabeth does conceive. She visits Mary in this chapter. Remember how when Mary came in, John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb and leapt for joy right there in the womb. That's pretty, that ought to tell you something about the sanctity of all human life, right? John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in the room and, and the, the womb of Mary, and John the Baptist is there, two pregnant women getting together, and one of these babies kicks like he's never kicked before because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and she says, I just felt him uh, leap within me. He leapt, he experienced the emotion of joy right there in the womb. And so that every woman who has felt a strong kick can probably think, man, what, what must that have been like. Well, a couple of things happen in the passage we just read as well as the song that follows. Uh, we see a revealing of a good name when, when Zach, Zechariah breaks the silence. We see the revealing of a good name, but we also see the recognition of a great need. And so let's look at the first thing, this naming of John the Baptist here, uh, a revealing of a good name. Here's a principle that I want you to take with you today. Hold on to this. God is always calling and preparing servants to be people of influence on mission for him. God is always calling and preparing servants to be people of influence and mission, on mission for him. Not only would his literal name be John, we know him as John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, but his literal name would be John. The name John is significant. In the Hebrew, it meant the Lord is gracious, or Yahweh, or Jehovah, is gracious. God's about to bestow his grace and favor like never before. So we've got a number of people actually here with John as a first or a middle or somewhere in the name. Uh, did you know your name meant God is gracious? And so, men, you can tell your wife, I'm God's gracious gift to you, right? Um, literally, his name was John, but... We're also told, spiritually speaking, when it came to a man being on mission, Jesus would later say there was no man, humanly speaking, we know Jesus was the God-man, and no better man than Jesus, but he says, humanly speaking, there's been, never been a man born of woman that was better than this man. And so it, there's a good name here that's being placed, but it's also a good name because in the text that we read just a moment ago, Everybody expected John to be named Zach Jr., right? Everybody expected him to be Zechariah, named after his father. And he said, no, God has revealed something to me special. And so the, the selfish thing to do would be to say, listen, I don't care what God wants to name me. This is about my name. This is about he's my progeny. This is something that is going to... Uh, pass on my name for years to come, and so family names were so important, and, and a man wanted so much to pass on his legacy through the name of his son, and, and then so on. But here he says, no, his name is 
John, the Lord is gracious. He's been good to us, and he's been good to this world, and he's going to have a mission. He's going to have a task. And so he broke the silence with a word of selflessness that reminds us that God has a call that is bigger than us. It's bigger than our name. It's bigger than our reputation. It's bigger than Trinity Baptist Church. God has a mission that far exceeds and extends beyond all that we could ever try to represent in and of ourselves. And we are to be about that mission, not about making a name for ourselves. We're out to make his name great, and that's what John would be about. We at Christmas sometimes express a lot of selfishness. And I don't want to be hard on the kids for saying what they wanted for Christmas. Um, sometimes we all have something that we kind of have in mind, right? And all the men are thinking, yeah, if you, well, if my wife just keeps me stocked in socks and underwear, I'm good to go for another year, right? Uh, but, but we all have something that, that we like to receive from time to time. Zechariah, though, would be selfless at this time. And, and I think of the fact that 400, I read this this week, $465 billion will be spent on Christmas gifts. An estimated $465 billion spent on Christmas gifts and and Christmas goodies. Let's throw that in there. And, And many will even foster within their children an entitlement mentality. We'll make Christmas all about us. But if we're not careful, that's really just the overflow of a lifestyle to where we try to make life about us. Parents, we're sometimes even guilty. All of us have been there from time to time, and others camp out here way too long, but we're guilty of teaching our kids that life revolves around them and what they're doing. And and their parents and grandparents are saying, what are you talking about, Pastor Robbie? Life does revolve around them. Our greatest equipping for them to have kingdom impact is if we can teach them life does not revolve around them, but life revolves around Jesus Christ, and we are to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and they will experience a blessed life. Joking about, I'm glad, you know, Tommy went to Eastern Europe because that's where his wife was, but I'm telling you, you teach your kids to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ and make him known in the world as they're walking with him to make big of Jesus and not themselves, they'll find the greatest fulfillment in life. They'll find the joy and the peace, the happiness, not a life of ease, not necessarily a life of luxury, but they'll find the greatest contentment in life, the greatest peace and purpose when they're making big of Jesus. And they learn that from parents and grandparents who make big of Jesus. That's why Pastor Ben reminded us earlier, we're going to give you an opportunity this Christmas to make big of Jesus in your home as we explain via a video and and other resources how to do right there in your home the Lord's Supper at Christmas. So there's a revealing of a good name, a selfless act here to say, We've got something else that we need to make known to you, and that is the recognition of the greatest need. Now, we'll get into that greatest name in the next couple of weeks, the name of Jesus, but the fact that Jesus was prophesied as coming was very much a recognition of the greatest need that the world has. Now, here's the principle that I want us to embrace this morning. The greatest gift is salvation, initiated by a gracious and merciful God, accomplished in the sending of his son Jesus Christ to provide forgiveness of sin and deliverance from sin's power, resulting in 
a life of holy service which extends the same gift to a spiritually dark world. You're like, well, Pastor Robbie, what, what theology book did you read this definition of salvation? It was right here. As I was studying Zechariah's song this week, I began to notice within this song, there is a definition of salvation. And if you begin to pull this song of praise, listen, when he breaks the silence, when, when people are listening, because here he, he had met the, uh, the angel Gabriel, he had been, they knew that he had had a God encounter, they couldn't wait to hear from him. When he breaks the silence with this song of praise, he reveals the greatest definition of salvation. And so what I want us to do this morning is spend a little time unwrapping this greatest gift. In a couple of weeks, we're going to see Luke 2.11, for unto you a child is born, it goes on to say, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a, what? A Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the greatest need is salvation because God sent a Savior. So let's unwrap the gift. Let's look at this song beginning in verse 67 when Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he began to, began to prophesy here. Salvation, verses 68 and 69, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption. The word redeem means to, to buy back. He had to pay a price for me and you. Salvation for us is free, but it wasn't free without a price first being paid. It's just that you don't pay the price. Jesus paid the price. He provided redemption for his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant. Salvation. A horn sometimes is used to carry oil. A horn was used to make announcements. But here it's probably a reference to the horns of the altar that had been covered with bronze where the blood of a sacrificial lamb would be placed to look forward to the blood of the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. It was a reference to Jesus providing salvation. Psalm 18.2 talks of him in the coming of Messiah one day as a deliverer and a horn of salvation. Our greatest need is to be saved from our sinful condition. That's the greatest need of all humanity. Not education, not, listen, I, I'm glad that there's a, a movement among young people where they want to see things made right, but social justice is not the greatest need in the world. We need to be good to the people around us and reach out to people in need. Benevolence is not the greatest need. As we do missions in our community around the world, benevolence is not the greatest need. Religion is not the greatest need, nor is politics. And I know a lot of people are going to be passionate about politics over the next year or so. And, and some of us kind of stay in that mode. And listen, we should, as good citizens, be involved in our political systems. But God did not so love the world that he sent us a politician or we would be in trouble. The greatest need is not the right political leadership. The greatest need of the world is a savior. We are sinfully desperate in need of a Savior. And so it says he sent a Redeemer, he sent a Savior, initiated by God. Notice that it was God who sent this Savior. One that would, uh, is verse 68 says, God visited his people. 
verse 69, God raised up this horn of salvation. Verses 70 and 71, as he spoke by the mouths of his holy prophets, ancient times, salvation from our enemies. God is initiating the process. It's initiated by a God who is merciful and gracious. Yes, God is holy and just and must punish sin, but he is merciful and gracious, and he sent a Savior to pay the price for our sins. You can't save yourself. You can't redeem yourself. And no matter how many self-help speeches you hear, you can't put your hope in yourself and come away satisfied. Your hope must be in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so it's accomplished the third part of unpacking this passage, unwrapping this greatest gift as it's accomplished in Jesus Christ. He speaks of that prophecy that it would be in the house in verse 69, of his servant David. The messianic prophecies always pointed to the house and the lineage of David. It's a foreshadowing going all the way back to David. All the prophecies pointing to where a Messiah would come, to when Jesus would come to be the Savior of the world. Accomplished in Jesus Christ, providing forgiveness and deliverance. In verse 77, We read to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. They can't be in right relationship with God unless they have something done with their sins. While God is holy and just and must punish sin, he loves us and wants to have us in a relationship with him, so he has to do something about the sin in your life and in my life. And so we must take that same message that he's providing forgiveness, and not only forgiveness. See, so many of us, so many of you under the sound of my voice this morning, stop with forgiveness, and forget that it was also deliverance. See, we are saved from the punishment of sin when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That means we have a home in heaven. But we forget that that also begins the process of sanctification where we are being saved from the power of sin and delivered from that to where sin doesn't have a stronghold on you. And we can go around and say all we want to, that Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And I know that's true. I know that people will use uh, an excuse that I don't want to go to church because there's too many hypocrites down at the church, and you're like, well, hey, there's always room for one more. I I realize I'm not trying to teach sinless perfectionism, but I am saying that we are learning to walk in the Spirit instead of the flesh. We're learning to walk in the Word instead according to our own will and desire. And so we are without excuse. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we that have died to sin continue in it? Romans 6 says. We're also told in Romans 8, 4, the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us when we walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. So we're in the process of being saved through the Spirit and the truth from the power of sin. That's called sanctification. I hope that I'm more like Jesus today than I was yesterday, but I hope I'm more like him tomorrow than I am today. We're saved from the power of sin. Receive the word of God with meekness, James said, which is able to save your souls. He was writing to Christians who were already saved, right? But their souls needed to be saved from the power of sin. And finally, one day, ultimately, we will all be saved from the presence of sin if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The first salvation when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we're saved from the punishment of sin is called justification. I, by the blood of Jesus, am justified, made just as if I had never sinned sanctification. I'm growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's being delivered from the power of sin. And then ultimately one day I will receive a glorified body and I will be saved from the presence 
of sin. And those that we know and love that have died in the faith in Jesus Christ are saved from the very presence of sin. That's called glorification. That's the message we need to make known. Resulting, though, how do we make it known? Resulting in a missional life of holy service. Look back at 74. Since we have been rescued from the enemy's clutches, that's sin's stronghold on us. Listen, there, there were political ramifications of this in the immediate context, but spiritually it was so much more than that. We are to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all the days of our lives. In other words, if I'm truly saved, here's your definition of salvation. If I'm truly saved, then I will want to give myself as a servant of the living God to live out a life of holy service. I will want to live characteristically more like Jesus, and I'll want to make him known to the world. John the Baptist, that would be his mission but it's also your mission and my mission, a life of holy service. John the Baptist merely serves as an example for the rest of us. We are all called to go and to make him known. And as we wrap up the service and move into a time of invitation this morning, let me give you some instructions. If there's someone here this morning who has never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you. And so I'll be standing here. Pastor Ben will be available after we begin the great white missions march, right? After we begin this uh, white Christmas missions march, you'll have an opportunity to talk with us. But if you've never trusted Christ, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you. But I pray that a man, woman, boy, or girl will come to me or to Pastor Ben and say, I believe God's calling me into missions. North America, international, wherever it is, I pray that somebody will come and say, pray for me, because I believe God's calling me into missions. And I want you to respond in obedience. We won't share that with everybody until you give us permission to. You may want to tell your family first, but we would love to pray with you about that. As the invitation continues, you're going to have an opportunity, and you read about it in your bulletin insert on the one side that says this basket is here right in front of the podium here. This basket, everything that's placed in it will go to international missions through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Some of you have brought gifts for the community. At that time, you can place those under the tree. After the flags have been presented, and I want to go ahead and give permission for those who are helping with the flags. Uh, you can make your way to the back at this time. After they march in, you know, there was one time we were, we were bringing in about 40 of those flags. Now we just bring a representation of some of the countries where we have partnerships. But this church has had members in about 40 different nations serving in some way. And so we got a representation. Some of those will be brought in and they will be placed along the sides. And so during the invitation, once you've been cued to begin, to stand and begin, you'll have the opportunity to put a financial offering in this basket or bring your gift to the tree to my far right, your far left over here, the tallest tree there. Place your gifts around that that are for those in our community. Some of you may just want, or all of you as your family, on the back of that insert that gives you instructions there's a flag 
and one of the, the flag that's on that insert will also be placed. And so we want to ask you to go to that flag. If you didn't receive a bulletin, then just pick one. But if you received a bulletin, take the insert, see which flag you got, which missionaries or mission work you're praying for, and go to that flag as a family or an individual and spend some time in prayer there. So there are a number of ways to respond this morning. And so if you didn't come prepared for one way, there's another way. Or you can respond in every way as the Holy Spirit leads. So I'm going to pray. You're going to remain seated after I pray. The flags will begin to be presented and placed. As it says there in the bulletin, after the Christian flag is in, the Christian flag represents bringing Christ to the nation. After it's in, Pastor Jeff will stand us. My family will begin and we'll lead the way. And then as you feel led all over the place, respond in obedience. Place a gift there. Place a financial gift here. Go to a flag. Do all of the above. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for life in him. Lord, if there's someone here who needs to put their faith and trust in you, I pray that right where they sit right now, they would say, Lord Jesus, I turn from sin and self, and I trust in Jesus to be my Lord, my Savior, my best friend. Forgive me of my sins. Make me your child. I believe you died and rose again. And I believe you're coming again, and I want to live for you. Father, if there's one who prayed that, I pray that out of seriousness of that, that they would share with us their decision today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just be seated until Pastor Jeff cues us to stand.